Welcome to the Solo City Church Podcast, a podcast for the glory of Jesus and the edification of the church. The following is a recent sermon from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We hope you enjoy. In there, 1 Peter 1, we're going to start in uh, verse 20. This is what it says. He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. I'm just going to short, let's read it again. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So let's, let's pray really quickly about that. This is the word of God. Just let it take root in your heart this morning. Jesus, be with us, God, and move in a way that, that marks us. Get the word in our hearts, Lord, that we might not sin against you, but even further, that we might take this glorious gospel into every crevice of our lives, into every street in our city, into every um, nation in the world. God, do a work here that the whole world will hear, will hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing through the book of 1 Peter. And um, <clears throat> since we took a little break, uh, even though we've, we've uh, been going through it over the last couple of weeks, I want to just run quickly over the very first chapter that we've, uh, that we've been looking at uh, in the book of 1 Peter this morning. Um, it's amazing that we're about three months in and we haven't made it out of chapter 1. So praise God. That's amazing. We're really sucking it for every piece of sap that's in it. You know? And um, so I just want to start from the <clears throat> very beginning of, of, of this sermon today and go over what we see so much about for, in 1 Peter because I believe that we must understand and have a context for the entire book for us to really grab hold of what this passage is showing us and teaching us. So Peter writes to the elect exiles. We saw that. What I called the very beginning of this series, Trinitarian exile is what we experienced. God has called us uh, as exiles in the world. And what we see in verses 1 and 2 is that this is the foreknowledge of God, meaning that before all the foundations of the world, God had you in mind to be an exile right where you are at in the world to make much of His name. He had you in mind, and He did this through um, the blood of Christ, and He is accomplishing that in you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you would be holy and blameless before Him. And as you burn with deeper passion and desire for Christ, that you would be a light to the world. Carrying on what Brian was talking about, the light of Christ himself. And we continue, and I love how most epistles begin because they erupt with praise. They erupt with doxology. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, according to his mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope. This is God's work from the beginning. God is doing a work in the whole world. I love Scotty Smith's uh, words. If you're familiar with Scotty Ward Smith, he's a PCA guy in Nashville. And he says this, he goes, we need to realize as American Christians especially that we're a part of this grand every nation story that God's invited us into. That this is not about our American context. This is about God doing work in the entire world that the whole world's going to be a part of. And we, and we get to the end of the, of the Bible and it shows us that Revelation 
is, is speaking into this reality. Listen, every nation and tribe and tongue is going to be represented before his throne one day, which shows us that, man, God is doing a magnificent, grand thing in all of the world. It's not just about us. And this is based upon his mercy to us, based upon what he is doing, not based upon our, our greatness, that we got everything together, but because of what God is doing in the world. And it continues in verse 3 and says, listen, this hope that you have in Christ is a living hope because Jesus is alive. The hope that you have is living and sure and should be worked out in your life because Jesus' resurrection is sure and certain in the world. He came and rose from the grave. Paul says that over 500 people saw him uh, after he rose from the grave and he ascended the right hand of God and he was given glory. And verse 7 continues in chapter 1 and shows us that there is a future revelation coming to us. That there's going to be a day where we stand before Him and He's going to be revealed in all of His glory. I believe right now that what we see oftentimes in the New Testament is we're just given the first fruits of true, full revelation of who Jesus is. We just have the first fruits. And, it's, and the first fruits, just the little snippets into this new reality that's coming for us, that's awaiting us, is totally life-transforming. Right? So imagine when we are confronted with the, full, the fullness of God, like Brian was saying, the fullness of Christ. Imagine what that's going to be one day. When we're confronted with all of His fullness. He's going to stand before us and we're going to see Him, and see him with total clarity. Surely there's, there's hope in that right now for our life. Peter's wanting us to see that this revelation of Christ that's awaiting you should drive life right now. It should, it should impact every fiber of your being. And we should look back in verses 10 through 12 here in 1 Peter 1. Verses 10 through 12 show us we should look back to the testimony of the Spirit. We should look at the Scriptures, the prophets in the Old Testament. We should look at Moses' writings. We should look at Samuel. We should look at the Psalms. And, and you should think about when you, were first, uh, you first encountered the good news of Jesus and realize this is what God has accomplished in you. To fulfill uh, verse 3 in chapter 1 where it says, according to His great mercy, that mercy was shown to us by you hearing and believing the gospel for the first time. And we should look back upon that and we should see what God has done. And He continues even further. Now, because of this reality, because of this great grand story which God has invited us into, live holy in your exile. Matthew talked about that a couple weeks ago. Live holy. Be holy. Just as God is holy, you be holy. That's what Christ surely has accomplished for you, for us, as a body, to live holy. That's why I loved uh, Danielle's exhortation there earlier. The name of Jesus drives us to fight sin well and aggressively because Jesus is the victory over our present sin. He's the victory over that. And he continues, and, and Tyler talked to us about this last week, about how we should fear God in exile. Like, we're in exile, and we should fear God in it. Because look at what he's done. He's ransomed us from the foundations of the world through the precious blood of his son, the Lamb of God. That's what we see there in verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> and then we finally get here to this last, this, this section that we're looking at today. And what Peter reveals to us is that it was God's plan that right now, in this moment, Daryl, right now, on your birthday week, that we would be hoping in God. That right now, 
God's plan is that we would hope in him and we would believe in him and live that way through the rest of our time in exile. We say exile because um, that's what the reality is for the Christian. Just for context and definition, what do we mean when we say exile? God has called us to live in an already but not yet kingdom. He's called us to be here and walking among the world, those who do not know him, to live in a broken, fallen world that we don't belong to anymore. The scripture says... Um, in the New Testament, that we've been seated with him in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 1, right? That we've been seated with Christ. So if you have believed in God through Jesus, you have been seated in the heavenly places with God to where you're living right now. This does not define you anymore. This is not ultimate. Whether or not the Braves win the World Series this year, which I'm praying to the Lord, they do. They put all their eggs into this basket. Whether or not they do that, does not define you because you've been seated with him in in an entirely new eternal kingdom, everlasting kingdom that is defined primarily by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ which has been victorious over sin and death and hell for us. So right now we live in this exile and what Peter is showing us in this passage is that it is God's plan that you be right here, right now, hoping and believing in God. This is surely a part of his plan. And he shows us two things here. Number one is that Christ was God's plan for all of time, from all of time, in eternity past. Christ was God's plan. And two, because Christ was God's plan, we should hope in God. So I want to break those two things down this morning, those two particular statements, that Christ was God's plan for all of time, therefore we should hope in God. So let's look at this. Christ being God's plan for all of time. This first verse that we look at, Jesus was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him would be believers in God. I want to look at this word foreknown. How should we understand that? How should we understand that God, before the foundations of the world, foreknew us? Well, Juan Sanchez, a a particular commentator on the book of 1 Peter, he says, what this means is that Christ was not a divine afterthought. Christ was not a new revelation or plan B for God to figure out and win the victory over sin. But instead, Christ was the very plan, plan A, before all of time. From eternity past. Jesus was at the front of God's mind as to how he was going to enter into the world for all of time. This is the second time we see this term foreknown, foreknown used in 1 Peter. The first one is the very uh, second verse, or actually it may be in the first verse of, yeah, second verse of the book. He associates this foreknowledge of God not with Jesus himself, but with the people of God, that God foreknew before the foundation of the world that we were going to be in Him. We were going to be the people in exile. Meaning that your moment right here does not overwhelm Him. It doesn't doesn't, um, uh, catch Him off guard. What you're dealing with right now and the pain and the suffering that you face or even further, our political climate that we're in right now, it's not overwhelming to Him. It's not a surprise to Him. God foreknew you were going to be in exile right now. He knew it. And the reason why is because Christ was foreknown before the foundations of the world. God foreknew us because he foreknew Christ. 
God knew that we would be found in Him and we would have this moment in time, this particular opportunity to make much of His name because this was His plan from all of eternity. What, what two things does this speak to? Number one, it shows us the sovereignty of God. It shows us how God from all of creation has been in control. Christ was not God's great response to the raging nations. Psalm chapter 2 tells us that as the nations rage and impeachments are happening and people are being slaughtered across the world because of governments and because of the corruption, he who sits in heaven is laughing at it because he is ultimately power, powerful overall. Christ was not plan B. He doesn't have to come up with something that uh, meets our uh, great sin. But instead, what we see in the gospel is that... Um, this was mysteriously always God's plan. I don't know how that works out. I don't know how, we don't have clarity on how um, Jesus needed to make atonement before the foundations of the world were laid. But what we do see is that Christ was foreknown and his plan was set into place before all of time. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they didn't sin and God said, man, I got to scramble and figure out what I got to do. No, Jesus was always the way. Jesus will always be the way. Mysteriously, Christ was always God's plan for God's people in the world. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 and 8, as if this doesn't give us enough confidence. He, he references this in just the verses to follow in 1 Peter. He says, all flesh is like grass. He's not overwhelmed with our situation right now. He's not looking at us and saying, man... If you don't get it together, something not bad, something terrible might happen. No, he's totally in control. He's reigning over all of the nations. Surely, Isaiah says, the nations are like a drop from the bucket. <laughs> Think about that. I've shared that verse so many times because it baffles me as we sit here and we get so preoccupied with this particular moment and how broken life can be. How much sin and sickness, like this morning, uh, me and Jesse were freaking out. Elias woke up with a cough. And I'm just like, if he gets the flu, I'm, I'm, that'd be horrible, you know? Which is all good. Don't freak out if you got kids in the nursery with my kids. I mean, he's, he's fine. But like, that's where your mind can go. And you can realize that the vanity of life and all of these things. But here's what Jesus is showing us is that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Listen, where you are at right now is not outside of the plan of God. Where you are at right now is not something that God wasn't prepared for. Jesus gave his son before all of creation so that you could be found in him right here. And even more so, we're going to see in these verses to follow that this was for an opportunity for you to make much of his name. It was for the opportunity that's been given to you right now. <clears throat> but God is sovereign. His, his, his foreknowledge of who Jesus is leads us to understand that he's sovereign. And number two, that there is surely a connection with his foreknowledge in the covenantal promises that we see all throughout Scripture. God's foreknowledge equals His covenantal faithfulness, which has been revealed progressively throughout Scripture. So I want to go through just a couple of those things really quickly. Foreknown seems to pull on this covenantal faithfulness that God has had with His people from the beginning. That like, this is not God coming up with, like I've said, like God coming up with something better for God's people. But this is the very covenant in which He founded from all of time that God's people will be found in. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after Adam and Eve's sin. Genesis 3.15 says that he is going to raise up the offspring of Adam and they're going to crush the head of the serpent. It's what has um, historically been called all throughout eternity 
or sorry, not eternity, all throughout uh, church history as proto-evangelion, which basically means this is the first gospel. The first gospel is Genesis chapter 3. When in uh, Genesis 3.15, he says, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent and he's going to bruise your heel, meaning that you're going to, ta- you're going to die a death that's going to be really hard and it's going to be um, <clears throat> necessary for you to uh, blow the final blow over the power of Satan and hell. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3 and then we continue in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it shows us, this, uh, that God is going to make Abraham this great nation and he's going to be a blessing to all the world. Now, not in ourselves are we the blessing, but Jesus, through the offspring of Abraham, would be born into our humanity <clears throat> and what he accomplishes on the earth would bless all the nations. He would do that type of work. See, Jesus has been the plan from all of creation. He was foreknown before even we were a thought in God's mind. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 says... Tell them when you go and you save uh, your people and you deliver those slaves out of their slavery, out of the land of Egypt, tell them this, that this God is I am who I am. What does that mean? That the revelation of God saving, the revelation of God delivering is the very heart of who God really is. Meaning that what we see on Pinnacle when Jesus comes into the earth is the very fullness and the full culmination of what is being experienced in Exodus thousands of years before it happens. That Jesus himself is the very heartbeat, the very closest nature, the very being and identity of God who we just heard about earlier when Brian was sharing. He is the fullness of God. He is the image of the invisible God. When God comes in Exodus chapter 3 and he leads Moses back into Egypt to save and deliver God's people out of their slavery, what he is doing is exactly what he is doing in the New Testament when Jesus comes on the scene. Because God foreknew Jesus before all of creation. And we get into Leviticus. And Leviticus shows us that there's instruction on sacrifice. And this instruction on sacrifice shows us that God had sacrificed, had sacrificed, prepared for us from the beginning of humanity. And we continue in Joshua. And Joshua is just this book of God faithfully leading God's people towards his promises. And then we continue in Judges. And Judges is this book of God being faithful over and over and over to a faithless people. This was always... God's plan. And then finally, we get to the New Testament and Jesus himself is manifested. And he is manifested according to Peter for our sake so that we could have more confidence than ever to place our hope and our faith in God. We could have more confidence than anybody in all of history had ever had. The scripture says in uh, 1 Peter, uh, just a few verses before, that um, the prophets were searching and inquiring and trying to figure out what exactly God was doing in the world. And when we, Jesus came on the scene, he came on the scene and there was no confusion. This is the Son of God who is coming to take away the sins of the world. And what we see all throughout, laced through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is we see God's heart for us. Over and over again it says that he was going into the world proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This kingdom that was being proclaimed from Genesis chapter 1. He was proclaiming this kingdom was at hand now and how it was at hand was by him teaching and healing and doing amazing works in their midst. The kingdom of God, which is proclaimed from all of creation, 
was culminating in Jesus Christ. He was being made manifest, and it was for our sake. And he continues to live his life. Three years of ministry, we see anointing that is on a level that's never happened before. Jesus, while he walked on the earth. And then he goes to the cross, and he makes atonement for our sin. And the tension that we knew existed between us and God that we never could quite place our thumb on. First off, know this, that the fact that we were in relationship with God at all as a people in the Old Testament, as, as the Israelites, the fact that the Israelites were in relationship at all with God was because of the grace of God. Yeah. From the very beginning. God inviting them in to follow and be obedient to His law was always God's grace. It was never a means for that righteousness. And what's revealed when Jesus comes and sacrifices Himself on the cross is that this tension that we knew existed was finally destroyed and it became clear as to how God opened up relationship for us with Him. It became clear. God destroys sin on the cross so that now we can be in relationship with God forevermore, on into eternity, in increasing, infinite measure. And then after he dies on the cross, Jesus raises from the grave and his, his resurrection and his subsequent glories that are experienced. When God, the scripture says here in 1 Peter 1 that God gave him glory, speaks the final word of victory for us. It's final. It is done and it's finished. What God sought to accomplish through Jesus has been decided. And Jesus rose from the grave. And this right here is why you can place your hope in God. The scripture calls it living hope. Jesus secured our spot in God. This is what a commentator says about this passage, and I love it. This is a summation exactly of what this passage is saying. Jesus himself is the source of every saving benefit that comes to those for whom he died including the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith, and the gift of repentance. What does that mean? It means that what God has done from all of creation in Christ is all the power you need to be related to God and be in relationship with Him. And not only uh, has it opened up the opportunity, but instead the cross itself and the stamp of resurrection over all of that actually purchased your faith. It actually... Um, purchased the Holy Spirit for you. It actually gave you the very power you needed to repent of your sin to where if you are found in Christ right now, you will repent. You will walk in victory like you've never experienced before because God has purchased it. It's not up for debate. It's not up for our human willpower that we have to muster up to see ourselves repent or see ourselves have faith. That's not the dynamic of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has purchased our faith and we will be found in Him holy and blameless. We will walk in ever-increasing measure in intimacy and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We will continue to progress because that's how powerful Christ is. In other words, God sent Christ so that you can believe in Him and that you would hope in Him. The hope of the church is as certain as Christ's finished work. The hope of the church here, the hope that we would be gathered together as a people, progressing and trending towards Christ into eternity, is not left up into our own willpower, but instead something that Jesus did. It is as certain as his finished work. 
Therefore, I in here, hope in God with a radical, unshakable faith. With a radical, unshakable hope in Him. The book of 1 Peter is showing us that from eternity, God has purposed that we would hope in Christ's death and resurrection as we wait in exile. Living with unshakable faith. The hope that 1 Peter offers in 1 Peter 1 and 2 that says uh, that we are exiles according to the foreknowledge of God is this, is that God actually ordained for you to be right here believing the gospel so that his kingdom and his glory would go furthest into the world um, unlike it could never do if you weren't here. That's the foreknowledge of God. That nothing that you experience in your life escapes His hand. Nothing that you encounter, no frustrations. Like, even though you're, even though maybe, you know, you just got a super crazy life and you feel like you can't keep up with what's going on. The good news is, is that God knows your situation and He's placed you in it. He foreknew you as God's people before the foundation of the world so that you could be right here with this moment, with all that's overwhelming you, and realize that you have the Holy Spirit and God wants to see you finish and will do a work in you because it's something He's doing whether or not you're on board. He foreknew you. And how we see this, how we have example in the Scripture over and over and over again of what it means to live in light of this hope, this faith that we have in God. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. And we'll go through verse 38. This is the life that Christ has purchased for us. That unlike these, um, these characters in the Bible, they maybe could not understand on the fullest extent what it meant to have faith in God. We can. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have Jesus in the flesh to look to and know this is surely our hope. This is what it looks like to hope in God, have faith in God in the midst of exile. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You may look at them, and if you don't know the gospel, you're like, man, what a horrible life. Not for them. They took advantage of the moment to make much of Jesus because what they saw in Christ was much better than what they lost. Would you live that way? Man, if, if we as a church could embrace the reality of the resurrection and see that what we have in Christ is so much greater than anything else you can have. It's so much greater than anything else you can have. You know that a life in Christ where you were stoned and sawed in two and killed with the sword and going about in skins of sheep and goats, mocked in the world, destitute, afflicted, those who are mistreated, is a better life with Jesus than if you had everything the world could offer. Yeah. 
would you turn to Him? Hope in God, because here's, here's the reality. When we place our hope in Jesus, we have evoked the power of the risen Savior on our behalf, where we don't have to speak for ourselves. But Jesus Himself speaks the final word over us. So how shall we live in light of this? Live confidently and boldly in exile, for God has planned, He's accomplished, and He will finally save us on that last day. We can be confident right now that where God has placed us is exactly where He wants us to be, and we should live confidently and boldly in this. Imagine what your life would look like, because everyone's got their own way that this affects them. Imagine what your life would look like if you truly, wholeheartedly believed in the resurrection, that you had what the Scripture termed living hope. Imagine that. Live as if Jesus is on his throne and the powers of darkness must bow. Live as that. Sin has no power. Imagine if you lived as if sin had no power. Imagine if you lived as if there was actually hope in evangelism because Christ has already accomplished the work which you're seeking to accomplish. You can go and share the gospel not worried about being mocked, not worried about being slandered because you know that there's power just in the spoken word going forward that if you preach the gospel, that it will evoke faith in those who hear if Christ has accomplished it on the cross, and he has. Go forward with hope and relationship. There's nothing broken in your life relationally that cannot be restored. There's nothing broken. And here's the thing, even if we don't feel that full reconciliation that we long to sense this side of heaven, we will on the last day be made totally new and totally healed in the name of Jesus. Meaning that just because you've been laboring in your marriage to see your marriage at a place of um, above reproach or you've been laboring for you guys to truly enter into a place of vulnerability like you never have or maybe there's individuals here which I know I've had conversations with them that really struggle to be vulnerable with others because of the relational brokenness that they've experienced. That might be something that you encounter for years and years. And you may have a hard time opening up, bringing other people into your life. But this is what I know is that on the last day, you will be fully known and you will know others fully. And that day is coming. And we can place our hope in that. Live as if that is a reality. But also live with urgency on mission. Live with an urgency that like, hey, God has brought me and set me into a new kingdom. I'm an exile in this world. Therefore, the things of the world do not define me anymore. I'm going to live on the mission of God with every second that I have. As I work my job, as I spend my leisure time, whatever that is. I'm going to make radical decisions based upon my faith, not based upon my comfort. Because I know that my comfort is actually going to be felt at its uh, ultimate culminating point when I'm in eternity with Him. So let us be urgent. Man, there's so many things happening in our church, in our city. There's so many things that we could be plugged into. I know one particular that like, I've just had on my heart is the Youth Detention Center. Man, why would we not take that whole place over in the name of Jesus? Why would we not do that? Why would that not be somewhere where we just absolutely devoured with the gospel? Another one, man, just thinking is just, Brian, with you being a coach, man, soccer coach, What would it look like for us to come around him as a soccer coach and just love those kids? What would it look like for us to be urgent with that? To have an urgency in our hearts about walking with him through this great opportunity to make much of Jesus through this this soccer ministry? What would it look like for us to come alongside Young Life who is preaching the gospel? I went and I saw it. I was there. 
And people came to know him. And they said at the very end, which I love, they said, hey, listen, if you just made a profession of faith or if you made a profession of faith a long time ago, you need to get plugged into a local church. I love that. So true. What if we came and we just enabled everything that they did around them? What if we really as a church said, hey, I'm going all in at Rosecliff? What if we just had this urgency of mission? I think that we should step deeper into God's mission as a church. I think, I think there's deeper places for us to go. For you individually, many here, who may ask the question of yourself and say, wow, I don't, am I in, involved at all with God's mission? Have I shared the gospel at all this year? Have I shared the gospel at all the last two years? If that's you, there's no condemnation. But instead, there is this invitation to see the heart of Jesus and see what he's welcoming you into experience. Come and experience it. Come and gaze upon the Lamb of God. International mission. We've got folks in our midst here. We've got Sophia in India, amazing. We've got Isidoro, Jake and Emily, and Micah and Paige just getting back from India. So many things God's doing. Let us go. Let's go. Let us be ignited with fire and passion to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Because this is a story God's invited us in to where it's not just about us. It's about the world and about this global plan of salvation. He is orchestrating from all of creation that every nation would be at the throne of God one day. Let us go with confidence and boldness, knowing that our work and our labor is not in vain. He foreknew this plan. He foreknew that we would be found in Him and that this is the means in which we would go forward into the world. Let us plant churches. Man, I don't want to plant more churches. We've got men here and women capable of that work. Let's do it. Commit yourself to make disciples. If Jesus is, is who he is, how you can hope and have faith in God is by making disciples more zealously than you ever have. Burn for Christ in every area of your life. God has designed that the church before the foundations of the world would bring about the fullness of the kingdom of God through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. God designed that we would be the very means in which God's kingdom would be fully established on the earth through the work of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us take that, believe that, hope in God in the midst of exile, and see what He might do. Thank you for listening to the Solo City Church podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus more than you ever have before. For more information about our church, please visit solocitychurch.com.